Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I am Jason, and I am not a woman. And I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And I'm Caroline. I'm also a person in long-term recovery. And today we have with us a second Caroline. It's like a Caroline clone, almost. Uh, Welcome, Caroline. Thank you so much. You know, it's not every day I get to talk to another Caroline, so I am (laughs) so thrilled to be here. (laughs) No, it's awesome. It's definitely awesome. Uh, So today our episode is going to be about recovery and women's issues in recovery or or somewhere around that idea, um, which means that it's probably a good time for Jason and Billy to shut the hell up for a little bit. Uh, Caroline, why don't you tell us why you're here and kind of get us started on this topic? Absolutely. Well, first off, I am a woman in recovery and I identify as a woman in addiction, mental health and trauma recovery. For me, those issues, those areas of recovery are very interconnected. And I believe a piece, so much of a piece of women's recovery stories and journeys that I am passionate about elevating. So in my own personal um, experience, along with being a woman in recovery and having that part of my story that is so important, and I would say integral to the woman that I am today, professionally, I also really dove in and I'm currently still diving in to the recovery field. So that initially looked like, you know, I had a couple years sober and I decided, you know what, I want to help more women who are like me out there. And so I went back to get my degree in social work. Uh, Initially, my intention was to be a counselor. And you know how life is. We have these plans that uh, don't always work out the way that we envision them initially. And so I really found that I loved working in addiction policy and mental health policy, and from an administrative standpoint, creating programs and systems to really help support our journeys. You know, my personal recovery started in the rooms of 12-step fellowships and then other, you know, recovery pathways kind of mixed in with that. But I also recognized the need for things like quality addiction treatment and recovery support services, especially for women like recovery housing. And so much of my professional work has been around developing those programs, working on, you know, federal grants and things like that around what we now have kind of termed the opioid crisis, although there's the alcohol crisis and all of the crises around substance use uh, in our country and, and frankly, in the globe. So I've done a number of different things in the area in the recovery field. And most recently, the past couple of years, you know, I don't know about you all, but just, I don't know what it is, the state of the world or the state of my recovery in the world. But I was really challenged in my own journey about two years ago, three years ago, I guess now in 2020, when it felt like the world around me was falling apart. And what I didn't know was when that started happening, I started having a resurgence of things like panic attacks and my triggers started increasing, you know, and I just celebrated 12 years in recovery. So I've had a couple of years under my belt. Um, But, you know, I was just kind of rocked to my core. And I remember, you know, talking to a good friend of mine, a past sponsor, and, you know, she's like, well, you know, you may feel like your world's falling apart. 
and your recovery is like right on the edge. But we have tools today and you have tools that you can use. And so I went back. It felt like a little bit to the basics of reaching out and going to more meetings. I did a lot of Zoom, folks. I am like so burnt out on Zoom right now, but I love it still. Um, You know, and I started seeing a counselor again and I, you know, did a number of different things. And at that point, I really started also tapping into my kind of creative side, you know, and I had done a lot of creative work around program development and administration of, you know, different grants and things. It sounds so dorky when I say it, um, but, you know, the creative side of like my writing and how important storytelling is for me. And I started listening more to what was going on specifically around women's recovery stories. And I felt like something was missing. I wasn't hearing my own story of being a sexual violence survivor. And I wasn't hearing much about my own story in, you know, relationship recovery, which, you know, I remember I had a a sponsor tell me, you know, you've got a broken picker, girl. Like you cannot pick them. Like until your picker is fixed, uh, just like, please stop dating. So anyways, Um, But there were all these women-specific issues that I felt like weren't getting enough visibility, not just in the rooms, but like across the, you know, recovery advocacy landscape. And so I wrote a book um, called Downstairs Church. I organized a women's global recovery event on International Women's Day, which is coming up on March 8th, called Amplifying Women's Recovery Stories. And that is sponsored by, presented by the She Recovers Foundation. And so I've just really jumped in to women's recovery issues because, you know, frankly, it's not because I'm like some superstar in recovery. That is not it at all. It's because I struggle like everyone else every day and have to show up every day uh, and work my own recovery program. Um, and and I want to do that in community, you know, because that's what's helped me. And so I've I've really tried to not only tell my own story in hopes that other women don't feel so alone, but hopefully encourage others to get out there and share their story too, whether that's, you know, on a virtual global event or like in a church basement. So that's a little bit about me. No, that's excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that, Caroline, and a lot to um, unpack there for sure. So um, I guess one thing that I maybe didn't realize in kind of discussing with you, uh, you know, leading up to this this episode and and our conversations is is your work with the policy that you were discussing. Could we hear a little bit about that? Because that's super interesting. Sure, absolutely. So my involvement in, you know, working around addiction policy has really been at the advocacy level. So I had a couple years sober and a wonderful mentor of mine, a woman, old timer. Uh, I wouldn't call her that to her face, uh, but she's been in the rooms for like 30 years, you know, and she was involved in something called recovery advocacy. And I'm like, what in the world? You know, like, we're not supposed to talk about this outside of the rooms. Like, we're not supposed to, you know, anonymity and all of these pieces. But she told me, she started talking to me about the fact that, you know, early on, even in when 12-step programs were developed, people were going out and talking to policymakers about alcoholism and about how it was impacting families and communities and systems and about how, you know, about it was around the 1990s, mid-90s, early 2000s, a group of people from across the country got together And they started an organization called Faces and Voices of Recovery. And it wasn't something to, you know, like elevate these celebrities or superstars or break traditions or anonymity. It was about advocating 
for addiction recovery resources that people needed. Uh, because at that time, I don't know if you all are aware, but there wasn't what's not what's called mental health and substance use disorder parity in healthcare. So health insurance basically could be like, no, we're not going to pay for that. You know, you need addiction treatment. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, So they could make that decision. We see a little bit of that still residually today, but there are advocates out there on the front lines advocating and lobbying, you know, in senators offices and Capitol Hill and all those big fancy places and their big high heels and or however they dress. Um, But they're advocating for greater access to health care for substance use disorder and for addiction. And so really, you know, my involvement in policy started by tagging along, you know, with my with my mentor and watching what she did. And, you know, she did trainings on how addiction affected the brain. And she would go to Washington, D.C. and meet with other folks, you know, just again, not like because our recoveries are so incredible, but because they're not and because we all need support and we want to share that and make sure others have access to that support. Um, and my continued interest, and this is something that uh, sometimes folks aren't super aware of, but for women, I mean, certainly globally, but even in the United States, women have less access to addiction treatment and less access to recovery housing, less access to support that offers child care, um, which is oftentimes needed because we're the ones who are primary caregivers for not only children, but extended family Uh, So fewer women are able to access the treatment that helps a lot of us get sober. So uh, policy work is still still very important. There's a great movie out and uh, it's called the Anonymous People movie. Um, It goes a little bit into this advocacy and how some introductory work. It came out a few years back. It's it's really helpful if you're a person considering getting into any kind of advocacy. It's a good starting point. Agreed. Yeah, that's a phenomenal film. And actually, that was one of the films I saw with my mentor and we hosted a screening of it. And there's a gentleman in the film, Bill White, who is a kind of preeminent addiction researcher, um, just a phenomenal guy. And he talked a lot about uh, having in our country and globally just this fire lit under those of us in recovery to not just live our own personal stories, and, you know, and spread the message, which of course is really important, but taking that a step further and how do we spread that message on a level that will help others access the support that they need? Um, so, but yeah, that's a phenomenal film. I love that film. So do you think, Caroline, that, uh, you know, you were talking about the limited resources that are available to women. Do you think that's because historically there's been less women asking for those resources? And are we starting to see that that is shifting and, 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 you know, the resources are are growing or like, where do you think that comes from? Yeah, that's a great question. So I certainly have kind of my own ideas. There's been some research lately done on the topic and really what they're finding is a greater level of stigma associated for women seeking help. And then what I mentioned before that, uh, the increased levels of barriers to accessing treatment. So not just the financial piece, but the time commitment, having to step away from caregiving. Oftentimes in in many states, and I actually, I had no idea about this. I was just doing some recent research and writing an opinion article, but in many states, women are penalized, uh, penalized for, um, you know, if you're caregiving and you have a substance use disorder and you say, hey, I need help, or if you're pregnant, you can go to jail, you know, 
You can go to jail uh, for using and being a caregiver or being a mother. And so people are afraid to ask for help. People, especially uh, women who are pregnant or postpartum, afraid to ask for help because the reality is you can get your kids taken away uh, or go to jail or both. Um, and so a lot of women face these barriers that um, a lot of folks, like we just we just aren't thinking about it. We're not talking about it. And so, um, again, that's one of the reasons why. And I'm just one of many uh, women out there who are advocating for these issues. That's really interesting. So um, I think we've talked now about a little bit about some of the barriers to, to getting into recovery. Are there any others that you would call out as kind of critical pieces? Great question. I, you know, I would say along with this, the stigma, uh, you know, being afraid to ask for help, not having uh, treatment and a recovery support services that offer childcare, you know, that offer, you know, especially like recovery housing, you know, there's so few houses uh, open that offer also resources for children. I would say that stigma piece is huge. And research does show that one of the best ways that we can get rid of, eradicate, just eliminate addiction stigma is to share our stories. So when we're talking about addiction policy, when we're talking about, you know, like my book, Downstairs Church, that I just wrote, when we're talking about, you know, this global women's event on March 8th, that's, by the way, free, uh, completely accessible to anyone, um, you know, the more that we can get out there and share our stories, the more stigma is decreased. I just did a post on my, one of, I think it was Facebook or actually Facebook and Instagram, uh, but about this extremely startling trend that just came out. And I sound like such a numbers person, you guys, and like kind of a stats person, but I'm really not. Okay. But anyways, the CDC data, here we go. Nerdy me again. Um, that just came out says that 14% of high school girls in the U.S. right now are being forced to have sex, are raped. I mean, they could have just used the word raped. 14% of teenage girls, okay? 25% of teenage girls right now in this country are reporting increased levels of depression and anxiety that are off the charts, okay? Three in five teenage girls have reported making a plan to commit suicide, I mean, I read this and I was like, what are you, are you kidding me? This is what's going on. So I was like, all right, Instagram, Facebook, like I'm putting this on blast right now. And I've had so many women since I did that post and not post on the post because frankly, people are afraid to, it's hard to, it's hard to come out and say, yes, I am also a survivor of sexual violence, but I've had people private message me and be like, thank you for doing this. Thank you for saying this. Thank you for talking about these issues that so many of us women in recovery have experienced and not just women, y'all. Like I recognize men have experienced this as well. And maybe it's just more stigma that prevents us from talking about it. But the more that we can get out there and share our stories about not just our addiction and not just, but why, you know, like for me, I mean, my own story, I can, I can speak to my addiction started after the trauma, you know, like, yeah, I grew up in an alcoholic home and I had probably had genetic predisposition, but as a 14 year old, when you experience sexual violence, let me tell you, my experience was like, I wanted to get escape and numb myself out like for decades after that. Um, and then as a woman in extreme active addiction, that trauma cycle just keeps repeating itself. And so many of us have that experience, but we're not we're not able to talk about it. And so another barrier to that treatment, there's not a whole lot of trauma informed 
uh, treatment or recovery services out there, you know? Um, I work with a, just, you know, connect with a recovery house here in Eastern Tennessee, where I live, it's a small town. And I'm telling you the level of trauma that these women have experienced. I mean, it is just gut wrenching. Like, you know, I was talking to a woman the other day and I was like, you are probably the most resilient woman I've ever met. The things that you've told me that you've been through, and yet you are here living in a house with 11 other women that you don't know. I mean, just the level of courage and bravery, not to like make this about heroics because it's not, but it's about the level of humanity and resilience that you have to like step up and be like, no, I'm going to choose life, even though everything that's happened to me would, you know, you think anyone in their, you know, right mind would not be able to make it like would not be able to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Um, We got to keep talking about this stuff because so many of us experience it. And, you know, the sad truth is, while there's 11 women in this recovery home here in Eastern Tennessee, a lot of us don't make it. A lot of us don't make it. I want to, I want to, preemptively like apologize or put a disclaimer on anything that comes out of my mouth i guess uh running into this concept a lot in my own life that like women already have to explain themselves eight billion times and i don't want that to be what it feels like here um although better understanding and getting better understanding out to more people might be a really useful way but i I just want to put that caveat on there so i don't sound like a jerk um because i don't intend to you mentioned the mommy and me housing, and we had had somebody come on to talk about mommy and me housing. And I don't think, especially as guys, uh, Billy and I realized before that episode that one, there is like zero mommy and me housing. There is next to none. It's barely available. You know, it's it's very like select pickings. And even then, there's two different pieces of this. Like we have a mommy and me program that is near us that actually has like life skills or something being taught there. And then there's mommy and me housing, which is really just a residence. There's nothing extra. Nobody's telling anybody how to parent. Like, and I guess for people who maybe buy more into like the generational trauma idea or, or this idea that like we're passing things down, that doesn't really put a lot of safeguards in place to help the situation in general, right? Just, I mean, housing is great. I'm not knocking it, but I guess, could you speak more about that idea? Like, that's what I heard when you were talking about there's not enough of these places, there's not enough resources for women trying to to seek recovery. Like, first, you got to have the person to watch your kid while you go away to the detox, and then you got to go to the, the, the mommy and me housing and hope there is one near you and then hope you can get in. And then even then, are they teaching you anything or is it just a place to stay? Like, so many challenges that I think as guys, like, we don't, I never thought about mommy and me housing. It never even occurred to me. Well, you know, I just like to say you're, you didn't sound like a jerk at all. Um, so don't worry there. Uh, you know, and you bring up such an important point about that. Like you said, you didn't even think about it, right? You didn't even think about it. And honestly, like, it doesn't not because you're a dude. Um, I didn't even think about it before I had kids. I mean, I, I had my twins, uh, my beautiful twin babies, uh, when I was like six or seven years sober. And um, we moved to another state when they were babies. And I was really struggling and I'm like, I need a meeting where I can bring my babies. And I started making calls and I started going online and guess what? There were no meetings where you could bring your babies. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, um, I had not even thought about that. Not even, not once. And so, you know, I don't think like feeling bad about that necessarily. I mean, and, and 
maybe I had a little bit of that too, because I was like, wow, there's so many folks who are dealing with access issues to support, whether that's a 12 step meeting or detox, like you said, that, that we don't even think about. And so I think the more that we can talk about these issues, we can start shining a light for policymakers and for others in those positions that are able to, you know, move resources in one direction or another, or just, you know, your average folks who decide, you know what, I'm so motivated about this issue. I'm going to start a nonprofit and I'm going to open up a mommy and me house. And there are so many of those folks out there and God bless them because that is in part how we can help support folks in our local communities is that resource isn't there. Let's not wait for the federal government to come in and fund something. Let's just do it ourselves, you know? And that's what's so beautiful too, I think about the recovery community is we see a need and we show up and we we fill that need. We fill that gap. It's encouraging to see lately how many homes for women are opening up, you know? And I want to say, maybe it's because more of folks like myself are talking about it. Maybe people are like, like me, you know, having kids and realizing, oh my gosh, you know, there's nothing out here for women like me. Um, and I can't even imagine if I didn't have as much sobriety under my belt or external support systems in place when I wasn't able to access meetings. I mean, I can't even imagine someone in early recovery in that situation. So thank you for bringing that up. I think it's really important to acknowledge there's so many of that type of, uh, those types of supports that we don't really even think about that are needed out there. Yeah. And it, it actually takes me back to, you just reminded me of like a problem that I used to encounter more often going to meetings, which was you would go to a meeting, uh, some member, I guess, for whatever reasons, had to bring their child that night. And, and the child usually created a lot of commotion, distracted people like me who have a hard time paying attention. And there was like this age old debate about, you know, uh, is that helping more people or hurting more people by having this kid, right? Like, obviously, this person needed a meeting, but maybe they could have stayed home and called their sponsor and not, you know, ruin the meeting for 20 other people, whatever. Like, but maybe going back to that, the point is we just need to hear people and provide what they need, right? Whether it's in the regular so-called meeting or not, they need a place. Like, people need this thing. And so it's less about, like, is this right or wrong? And more about how can we just provide and meet people with what they're saying they need. And, and I feel like I'm seeing that a lot more in my life in general, but like it, it just shines through with this thing in particular that I used to feel frustrated about, right? Like I, I don't want people to not come to meetings and yet this is taking away from my experience. But I, I guess now it's just shifting more to like, okay, well, how can I meet that need or help them meet that need while also meeting mine? Yes, a hundred percent. And I think you know, and I know for me personally, I have a tendency sometimes to like, when I saw those CDC statistics, for example, like spiral, you know, oh my gosh, like, this is horrible. This is so awful. You know, and that is kind of me an active addiction. You know, I had a tendency to spiral a lot, but what's amazing today is there's so much opportunity around these issues. So you talk about your own experience with the meeting, you know, and having a child come in and, and Hey, I'll be honest with you before I had kids, I was like, when that happened, I'm like, oh my God. Oh no, here we go again. Like those little monsters, you know, somebody get them out of here. A hundred percent. That was me too. Um, but it's an opportunity for the women in those spaces, not to put more responsibility on our shoulder, but part of recovery. We all know that if we've been walking the walk for a little while is part of our journey is about giving back and being of service. And what a beautiful, beautiful opportunity 
to be of service to another woman. Hey, you know what? We're having issues with this, you know, kiddo. I was going to call him little monster again. Sorry. I don't even know. It's like a fictitious child. This monster, um, we need a place for him or her or whatever uh, to go. Let's create a meeting. Let's create another meeting for women that's specific for women and kids. And you can have as many little monsters running around, you know, as possible as the room can contain. But, you know, all joking aside, like it is, it's a great opportunity for us to step up. And like I talked about the community members, hey, you have a heart for this issue. You know, maybe and tragically, you know, I've met so many parents who've lost kids to overdose and substance use disorder. So many of them have stepped up transforming and redeeming their grief into action, creating nonprofit recovery homes and advocacy groups and walks and vigils and all of these beautiful, beautiful pictures of advocacy and service. Um, You know, if you have feel this calling in your heart and this movement, like, hey, I really care about this issue, go out and do something about it. You know, part of what I talk about actually in my book, not to like shamelessly plug my book, Um, downstairs church, the end of it, you know, it's not just my own pieces of my own story as a woman in addiction, mental health and trauma recovery. But at the end, I point to like practical ways. How can communities actually step up and help support women like me? Because we can talk about it all day long, but until we have like those practical things that you can do, you know, we'll still be talking about it. So opportunity, I see these issues as a, as truly an opportunity for folks to step in and step into being able to provide services and support to other other women like me. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I love that, Caroline. Um, uh, you know, I, I think you've you've shared some really great uh, advice here for people who want to get involved, whether they actually want to go out and start a meeting or open a recovery house or maybe in a little bit more of a, a passive nature, just simply trying to break down the stigma. What can what can men do? What can the men do that uh that want to be our allies, that want to uh help women with issues coming into recovery? Like how do they participate in this? Stop questioning your needs first. Well, that's such an important question. And thank you, you know, Jason, for chiming in, because I I feel like that's what it's really going to take is for everyone 
to care about these issues. And I don't know, I've, I've listened to, to your podcast and I know you all veer sometimes into the uncomfortable. And I'm a huge fan of that because I feel like if we don't get uncomfortable sometimes, like we're not going to, we're not going to shift things. Things aren't going to change. Just like, you know, in my own recovery journey, I had to get really uncomfortable before I was able to commit to a life of sobriety. But that, all of that being said, I think what men can do is men can like stop being, okay, here, I, things are going to get uncomfortable. All right. Can stop being like jerks. Okay. So let me elaborate on that. Um, as a woman, when I walk into a recovery space, sometimes I can immediately feel instantly. Doesn't mean doesn't matter how many women are in the room. If y'all start like the oogling, the, you know, I can instantly feel uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, and I understand like, Hey, if you're, you know, if, so, if a woman walks in the room and maybe you're used to like a lot more men around the table, which is usually the way meetings are, a woman walks in the room and everyone's like kind of perks up like, Oh, Hey, you know, what's happening. I'm like going to straighten my hat and like, you know, um, maybe you're like looking to 13 step, which, you know, there's another one, like, just please stop, <laughs> stop doing that. Um, but for women, especially women in early recovery, it can be very triggering and uncomfortable. And I actually just worked, I just talked with a woman the other day in early recovery who spiraled for over 24 hours because a guy came up to her after the meeting and wasn't even really hitting on her, but made her feel, feel that way and was like, made her feel really uncomfortable. And so I would say like in those recovery spaces, guys, out there and women too. Hey, it's not just a guy thing. Okay. We can all be jerks. I've been, I've been there. I've 13 stepped. I'm not like pointing any fingers. Um, but we can all just like recognize the reason that we're here in this space is because we have a problem with drugs and or alcohol. Right. And we want to focus on it. Like that's why we're there. Um, and of course we can get distracted. And yeah, like I said, I mean, I've certainly been distracted too, and probably made dudes feel uncomfortable, but like Let's just try to respect the space as that, as a respectful place, as a safe place where we can get support for our addiction. So how, you know, guys and gals, all of us can focus on like, how can we continue to keep this space safe? And, you know, again, I'm not pointing fingers and I recognize most people do that. Like most people aren't jerks. Most people aren't creeps. Jason and Billy, you guys seem like fabulous dudes. Like I wish we lived in the same area where we could go to a meeting together. Caroline, you too. I don't want to leave you out. Um, but, you know, I think that is one of the main things that guys can do is like help protect the recovery space as a safe space where it's not about sex. It's not about attraction. It's not about like trying to date someone or like let the ladies stay with the ladies and like let's just do old school middle school for a couple minutes, right? Where we can just like get support because honestly, like if I wouldn't have had support from other women early on, I would not be here today. It wasn't about my, you know, dating this one dude this one time in recovery. Like he wasn't a big help. Yeah. Um, it was about the women in my life and in my recovery that really supported me. So I hope that answers your question. Um, protecting that safe space and and really just like you all, Jason and Billy and Caroline are doing, like providing an opportunity for women like me to share our stories and talk about solutions. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I'm going to throw Jason under the bus here a little bit, but uh, we had a conversation a few months back where I mentioned like, you know, most of the time I walk into a meeting 
And I'm one of like three or four women in the room and that these meetings are 70 to 80% male. And Jason, do you want to, do you want to say what you said? Or should I? Jason basically was like, really? Like he hadn't, he hadn't noticed that there's like this massive well, like difference with <laughs> okay defend in, yourself defend yourself <laughs> in fairness uh the area that i come from which is a metropolis area city area it it generally seemed uh, maybe not 50 50 but pretty diverse um and especially i guess the meeting place that i went to is directly across the street from a woman's recovery house so might have evened out the odds a little bit uh, for for the particular meeting I was hitting, but yeah, I, I do think you are speaking to something that. So uh, where I was going with this when I said stop questioning women's needs, right? This this idea that women feel like they constantly need to explain themselves, and then when they ask for something, it's like, hey, um, I feel uncomfortable hugging men when I first come into recovery because I've been like a, a part of sexual violence for years now while I've been trying to be an active addiction um i'd prefer like an all women's meeting or for men to just not hug me and then you got guys like me three years ago who question why we have women's meetings because that messes up the sanctity of a fucking whatever the hell i was saying right so like being able to learn and hear better like the the first step the problem is when when y'all say hey the world's not equal for women um we get paid less we get treated shitty we've got all this systemic oppression that's in our our systems and we all say, oh, no, 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 we, we took care of that. That doesn't exist anymore. So it's like you have to fucking argue that it exists before you can get your need met. And if we could just shut the fuck up and let y'all like just say what you need and then maybe try to help meet it or at least just get out of the way. I just think that'd be a much better starting point. Oh, I, like yeah, I love that. <laughs> That's good. I got nothing after that. <laughs> So I'll even, I'll take it one step further, right? So as, as a 20 year old female coming into recovery, um, no kids. So that was not my issue. I was not struggling with, I was very fortunate that, um, you know, I basically had no responsibilities at the age of 20 and could, could kind of go full steam ahead. But, um, I was used to seeking certain kinds of attention, right? And so if you had seen me in a meeting with two months clean, you would see that I was seeking that kind of attention. I would say for our members that have a little bit of time under their belt, think about why that girl might be wearing that super short skirt or that low cut blouse. Like that doesn't always mean that, 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 you know, you should be going up to her. Um, I think, you know, a lot of times we come in and we we're coming from a world where that is, almost our currency, right? Like that's how we're getting through. That's how we're getting through the world. That's how we're functioning. And we come into the rooms and um, we have to relearn that. Like that's, that it, it, that's not just something you don't just like walk in the door and, and realize, oh, I have value outside of my appearance and I don't have to put myself on display. Um, it took me, it took me time. It took me recovery. It took me other women in recovery, right? To learn that. But, um, you know, for our members that have a little bit of time and, and, and a little bit of recovery, hopefully like recognize that, that like, maybe that girl needs her space. Maybe she doesn't need you, you know, whispering in her, in her ear about, you know, your great recovery and, 
you know, come come over and read my basic text in my recovery house uh, room with me. Like, Let's give it some space. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I feel like that was like the the Netflix and chill version of like recovery houses twenty years ago. Come read my come read my basic text in my recovery house room with me. <laughs> That's Stop all that'll happen. <laughs> It might still be like that too, by the way. Um, it might still be like that. But probably. Yeah, probably. You, you speak to a great point. And I love when you say like, when you bring in the community of women aspect too, because it's a great opportunity, you know, not just to be like, hey guys, like watch yourselves, but also like, hey ladies, when you see that woman coming in, when you see her coming in, like you go up to her, like flock to her, right? And I've had that experience too. Or those women kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, which was actually me, baseball hat, giant flannel. Like I had like 14 layers over my body, um, giant, you know, sweatpants, like hiding, hiding, hiding. Um, when you see that woman coming in too, she's she's dealing with the same stuff. So really recognizing any any new face that we come in. And you know, a lot of us already do this, but getting outside of our heads and ourselves and our own stories to be able to I like look at that woman and say, Hey, I understand her story. Like I am showing up for her um, and not leaving her alone. I think it's really important. That's can I ask your opinion on a certain thing that maybe is kind of around this topic? Absolutely. Yeah. Shoot. You, uh, you mentioned the broken picker idea earlier. And, and, you know, I think this is one that if you've been in the recovery world for a while, you've probably heard it. There's something about this idea. Like I, I agree. Like we're we probably are not selecting the ideal candidates to meet our happiness levels. Uh, you know, early in recovery and and maybe just in life. Uh, maybe this is a struggle that people have, picking partners that remind us of, you know, familiarity from our our existence. I guess which feels comfortable, even if it's not necessarily good for us or all that comfortable in general. Um, and one of the things that occurs to me, like I've I've heard this broken picker idea and it makes me feel like, oh, OK, well, I'm like broken or flawed or I got to figure out. Nobody's ever said how to like make it a better picker necessarily, like keep recovering, I guess. And somehow that that picker just straightens out. I, I guess for me at this point in my life, knowing a little bit of outside information and especially a lot of information from like the therapy world and going through a lot of therapy, it would have been a lot more helpful for me if somebody would have maybe been able to point to more of what I think that is, that broken picker, more of like the attachment stuff that that goes on underlying us. I feel like that would have been a lot more beneficial if somebody said, oh, hey, you know why you keep picking that same type of person that's maybe kind of toxic when you end up with them in a relationship? It's because you got this other stuff and maybe you can go look at it and talk about it. Do you think that maybe there's places like that or like, you know, you mentioned sexual violence, and we've had uh, a gentleman from Medication Assisted Recovery Anonymous come on, and he talked about how in their fourth step, when it gets a little more intense, like stuff like sexual violence, they kind of point people towards getting a therapist instead of sharing that with their sponsor. Like, can you share about, uh, are, are there maybe some small shifts or adjustments we could make in our 12-step world that might make women's recovery a little easier? And maybe everybody's really. Great question. You know, for me, so my sponsor at the time who talked to me about my broken picker, along with that, helped walk me through the rest of the steps where I feel like that was a, a was a huge uh, step towards adjusting that uh, picker. But there was another thing that she said to me 
around that same time, which was, hey, if you want to shift things, if you want to get healthy in your relationships, stop focusing on what that other person can be. And she was like, I want you to sit down and write a list, not like your ideal mate, you know, right? Like six foot three, you know, dark eyes, dark hair, like all those things. Focus on like what you want, how you want to show up in a relationship. How can you be the ideal person for someone else? And when you're at that point, and certainly no one is perfect. And she was like, you're never going to, you know, be perfect or be a hundred percent ideal. But once you start hitting some of these characteristics in yourself, then you might be able to look out, you know, into the world or attract those people who are at that same level. So maybe when you're at the point of being able to have integrity, to be honest, to be able to think more about someone else in a relationship uh, in healthy ways than, you know, getting your own needs met and those types of things. And for me, that was, that was key. That was so important. Uh, And you referenced this. She also pointed me in the direction of other resources, specifically mental health care to address my trauma. And I a hundred percent firmly believe that Most of us have experienced, you know, trauma in one form or or another, and most of us can really benefit from sitting down and talking to a professional about those deep-seated traumatic issues that, you know, I don't want to freak anyone out, but if you don't address them, if you don't address them, they are going to keep coming back. And it doesn't matter how much time you have. It doesn't matter how much time you have sober. Um, So you know, her guidance and direction was so helpful for me in that, you know, look, you need to focus on how you can show up in a relationship. And you know, what's going to help you do that along with talking to me and working the steps. It's seeing a, a mental health counselor. And I saw a trauma specialist and she, we did some real deep, real painful, real healing work together. And that was transformational for me. So I feel like, you know, the 12 step community, we can all be more helpful in pointing people to other resources in the community. Yet another reason why having those quality resources accessible to everyone, including women, is so important. And I think breaking down some of the stigma around addiction helps that a lot. It's becoming way more common in the conversations for people to understand that most, if not all, addiction is born out of trauma and that, you know, maybe we aren't ready to deal with that in our first year or two of sobriety or recovery, but that that is a crucial piece to deal with if we want to continue long-term recovery. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. And I wanted to share too, you know, sometimes for some folks that looks like that really deep work with a mental health professional, counselor, therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist. Yes. And sometimes that work can also be done within a recovery community. I mean, for me, that was the first part of my trauma healing was showing up and hanging out with sober people. Like that was it. Connecting with other women, letting myself trust again, feeling safe again, all of those things kind of building up to being able to do that deeper work. So, uh, but yes, I agree. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage 
all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. To shift a little bit. So March 8th, 8th is International Women's Day, and there's, an, I guess, an event sponsored by the She Recovery Foundation. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, yes, yes. I would love to. So this is our second annual event. I'm so excited. Amplifying Women's Stories in Recovery Advocacy, presented by the She Recovers Foundation, which is an incredible organization. And last year, we had over 1,200 folks register from around the world. It was live translated in three languages. Um, this year, it will be accessible in even more languages. And we have speakers from Nigeria and uh, England. I'm going through the list, testing my memory here. Um, France, uh, Peru, El Salvador, just all over the place. And you know, the feedback we got last year was, it is absolutely incredible to turn, turn on your computer, uh, get logged into Zoom and see women from all over the world who are passionate about recovery. And that is what this event aims to do is really connect us on a global scale and amplify women leaders in recovery. And there'll also be opportunities for folks, everyone attending to connect in breakout sessions. So you can go to sherecovers.org and find the event link. I'm also happy to provide you all with the link as well to share, but it's going to be a great event. And most importantly, uh, it's free and accessible to all. We want to make sure that every year it is a free event. Uh, and so um, donations can be made to She Recovers Foundation, but not necessary at all. Really excited to be there. I have the opportunity to be the host of the event. So really thrilled and hope to see you all there. Is it going to be like mostly motivational? Is it training? Is it teaching? Like, is it a hodgepodge? Tell us a little bit about what to expect when we get there. Yeah, absolutely. So this year's theme is all around storytelling and amplifying our stories to help, like we talked about today, you know, breaking down those barriers of stigma, educating the community and others about issues related to women's recovery. So ultimately, it will be, you know, we'll be hearing from these women speakers and leaders in recovery and supportive of recovery all over the world about the impact of storytelling in their own journey, and also how that the impact of storytelling from others, hearing and receiving those recovery stories has propelled us to go out and change our communities and, you know, be of service. So love, love this year's theme of storytelling. And I think it's so important for those of us who want to go out there and help reduce stigma and, you know, help in increase opportunities to build more recovery support services for women. So it's going to be a really fun day. You know, it's, Super chill, bring your coffee, tea, sweatpants, like you could be on camera, off camera, 
You can be as involved in breakouts as you want to be. You can just come and listen. But I hope you do. And it's not just for women. I mean, everyone is welcome. And it's a great opportunity to learn more about women's recovery. And I would just say that for any gentleman that happened to wonder if there would be any purpose to listening to that, the more I have sat and listened to women, the more I pick up these little pieces of like, oh, shit, people question them all the time when like in situations where people would never question me, right? Like, hey, I think I'm going to go get gas and get lunch. Oh, you sure you want to do it in that order? Like, it's just ridiculous how often women get questioned. And it's this would probably be a wonderful opportunity to to sit back, not feel any pressure to be right or wrong about it. You could sit in your own living room and just listen, right? And just maybe you'll hear some ways that women get treated or have to deal with being treated in the world that you've never considered. And you've never, you know, that whole invisible uh, knapsack of privilege idea, like, Maybe if you're just a little open-minded and listen, you'll hear some of those things and you can start being better to the the mothers, daughters, wives, girlfriends, uh, neighbors, co-workers in your life. Excellent. Caroline, you did mention your book, Downstairs Church. Do you want to give us the the elevator pitch on uh, on on the book and when it's, I think it's coming out or it's just come out? It's It's very fresh, right? Yes. Yeah. So it comes out actually March 28th. This uh, just a couple weeks, almost a month from now, it's available for pre-order now. But in uh, my book, Downstairs Church, Finding Hope in the Grit of Addiction and Trauma Recovery, really explores the problem of addiction and trauma for women, for women like me today, and then highlights freedom and hope that can be found in the downstairs church or recovery community. And in the book, you know, along with bringing this community awareness to these issues that we've talked about today, regarding women's access to recovery support services and quality treatment. Um, I wanted to highlight in the book, the radical vulnerability. I just, I love that phrase, the radical vulnerability that I personally found in the downstairs spaces of addiction recovery. And I believe whether you're in recovery from addiction or not, I, you know, my personal opinion is we're all in recovery for from something. Um, but I feel, I, I just, feel in my heart that everyone can benefit from learning a little bit more about what happens in recovery spaces, that vulnerability, and that when we share our stories in real ways, when we can show up authentically, when we can be honest about our struggles and where we've come from, that's when transformation can happen. And so ultimately, I hope the book helps to decrease that stigma out there for women helps point to like practical ways that everyone, anyone uh, can get involved in this, addressing this issue and shine a little bit of light on what happens in the downstairs spaces of recovery. I'm assuming that's March 28th. The, uh, the print copy is coming out. Is there an audible version or an audio version? And is that coming soon? There will more than likely, yes, be an audio version. I've yet to hear from my publisher about what's happening there. Um, I'm, I'm pretty old school. I like the feel of like a book in my hands and the pages and like, you know, all of that, but I know audio is awesome. I would, I might like to record myself. I don't know. We'll see. Like recording your own book is kind of daunting, a daunting thing, but, um, yeah, if enough folks are interested, I would love to be able to provide an audio version as well. So I'm curious, and maybe through your experiences and, and all your studies in this area, you could at least speak on this. You know, I don't know that we'll have a definitive answer, but one of the things I've always noticed in recovery is that when I 
and for a lot of other people, it looked this way too. When we removed our, our substance or our choice method of finding relief in our world, right? We were still left with that discomfort. And the next best thing that felt available or accessible or legal to us was relationships. Like they are a powerful relief bringer, you know, when you're you're not feeling good about yourself. With that understanding, would our recovery spaces be better? separated out better where, where there's not that I, I get that we can't just do men and women right there's a, a lot more going on in our world than that but would removing temptation or uh you know attraction assist people in their recovery process like would they have less to chase for relief to where they would kind of have to find some other maybe more healthy healing methods is that something that would actually be useful or or maybe not hmm. well you know I talked about just appreciating uncomfortable conversations, right? And I think we, I can speak from my own experience. I have been able to grow and learn when I've been in those uncomfortable places. And so as much as it's hard to walk into a recovery meeting, that's mainly dudes and, you know, get some of the looks and some of the this and the that, as long as I have support, when some of those things happen and I have the tools and know how to like call my sponsor and say, Hey, I'm feeling uncomfortable or go out to eat with the ladies and like turn that one dude down, you know, um, in terms of going out with him, like, as long as I can make some of those healthy choices, I want to say like, just splitting it up completely. I think there's an opportunity there that's lost because we can learn from each other. Um, regardless of how you identify, you know, what gender you identify with, we can all learn from each other. Uh, so, you know, I think having those separate spaces is also important though, at the same time. So maybe a combination of both. I mean, I think it really just depends on the person. And I know for me personally, like, yes, I needed those separate spaces, especially early on. And I've also grown when I've been uncomfortable too. So I'm not sure if I answered that question for you, but I just wanted to share a little bit from my own experience. Well, I think you're talking to the point of like speaking up and being vulnerable and being uncomfortable. And, you know, maybe maybe when we're all in the parking lot after the meeting and a few of us are off to the side talking about uh, old creepy Joe, uh, maybe we need to start calling old creepy Joe out and be like, dude, hey, stop doing that. Like we want these women to recover or, or you know what I mean? Like maybe we do need to start putting words to this instead of all kind of saying, oh, yeah, that's how old creepy Joe is, you know, and just moving along and not doing anything. Yeah, that's great. I mean, stepping up and yeah, really being an ally. I mean, really being an ally. And that's, you know, when we can come together as a healthy community, you know, whether that's around like sexual relations or really any of it, right? When we can be a healthy community, we can all recover uh, in a healthier way. And that's just going to impact the whole community, you know, not just women, but but guys and all folks as well. Before we kind of like give our, our wrap-up list of all the best practices for how we can assist people uh, or or how people can assist themselves and find better spaces. Is there anything that you were hoping to express or talk about today or any topics or points that haven't come up yet? Well, you all, this has been a great conversation. I feel like, you know, everything I had on my heart to share that I didn't even know about, I've been able to talk about. Um, so unless there's other, you know, things that you want to address, but I just, I feel like this has been a great conversation and really important points brought up. Okay. So, um, and, and we can feel free to like rehash the ones we've already mentioned. I know quite a few have come up already. Um, but just to kind of have an ultimate list and, and if anybody 
as extra like some of the more specific things that I have seen in my lifetime um obviously women's meetings are, are a useful place a couple of different times I've seen meetings take it upon themselves to decide they need child care right um so they'll have some kind of back room I've seen it work in a couple of ways I think one group took actually a, a sent around a donation basket to help fund somebody to watch the kids and and the other ones it was like either a service position or somebody's teenage daughter or whatever and like I thought those were really specific great ideas and you know some of the more general ideas we've talked about today just like being open hearing women uh not being a creep or being aware of yourself you know more self-reflection what other kinds of like specific and general things should we put on this list of best practices like how, how can we help well I just so appreciate that you're asking the question and I think that's a great place to start I mean I think you know, in my own recovery, I've learned this and I'm sure you all have too. Like when we can come from a humble place of like, honestly, just showing up and honestly being like, how can I be of service? You know, where can I fill a need? Where can I fill a gap? How can I help? And sometimes that is just listening. And sometimes that is just asking the question, you know, and you offered some great examples of having those women specific meetings and seeing how, you know, childcare can be involved. We talked a little bit earlier on too, and just the more that we share our stories, and certainly it's not for everyone, you know, recovery advocacy, um, but the more that we share our stories in other spaces outside of meetings, whether that's a recovery rally or, you know, a picnic or writing a letter letter to your legislator, um, the more that we can talk about our stories and our needs and the strengths of the community, the more that we can advocate for things like addiction treatment and quality recovery support services. So I think storytelling and advocacy is huge for those of us who feel moved uh, in that direction. I talked a little bit too about, you know, for folks who have been impacted or touched in some way around the issue of addiction, and maybe that's not your own personal journey, but a family member or a neighbor, if you feel pulled or called to get involved in creating a recovery support service, or at least sitting around a table and being a community stakeholder, uh, someone interested in supporting, um, donating money to those resources in your community. I mean, there's so many ways that people can get involved. And, you know, I want to joke, I'd, I'd like to just like create a shirt that says, don't be a jerk. And like, we can just all wear them into meetings. Um, but holding each other accountable, you know, um, not putting it on the women to be like, Hey, creepy Joe, you're a total like creep and please stop. Um, but stepping up and like protecting each other in a sense, keeping each other accountable. Um, ultimately, you know, we're one big family, right? And if you've got a family member that's sitting at the table that is being a jerk, like we want to say something in a loving way, of course. Um, but you know, helping us understand like recovery spaces, whether that's a 12 step space, whether that's, another type of meeting, you know, whether that's a recovery home, these are sacred, safe spaces where we have shown up to heal and to change our lives. And like that, there's weight had, like that space is, it is, it is sacred and we need to protect that space. So kind of whatever we can do to make sure it's safe for others, I think we need to start doing. And finally, you know, for women, you know, I, I don't want to just keep pointing fingers at the guys, but like for women, we have a responsibility to step up and step into the opportunity that's out there. You know, like Caroline, you mentioned this woman coming into the meeting who visibly like she is like screaming help, you know, like she's like, help me, you know, help me, please. No, I'm like, 
we, we can't just let those women come in and out anymore because you know what, when they go back out, a lot of times they don't make it back in. And so every time you see a woman like that, a woman like woman, like we've been at one time or another in our lives, if you've been in the rooms longer, like don't let her go back out without saying something to her, without giving your number, without getting her number, without calling her later. Uh, we have a responsibility to the women in recovery today. And real quick, speaking of storytelling and kind of women's empowerment, can you tell us real quick about your Bright Story Shine blog that you do? You've been Googling me, haven't you? Yeah. Really? <laughs> um, yes, I would love to. So I did start Bright Story Shine, which is just a storytelling platform. It's a blog where women can come and share their stories of recovery and resilience and You know, for my own personal story, like I mentioned, I wrote a book, Downstairs Church. Writing is a huge part of my release and relief. And I just, I just get so much from sharing my story in writing. And so I wanted to, you know, have a place where women can talk about their stories and share those stories. So I've just been so just honored to hear from women, you know, all over the world who've submitted stories and and I get to post some of those. So if anyone's interested in sharing your own story, I would love to connect. You can go to my blog website, brightstoryshine.com. And there's some submission guidelines on there, but it's a great place too for women who might be seeking recovery, who just want to learn more about women's recovery issues because, you know, go to that front page. And there's a lot of stories of women like me who've experienced uh, undoubtedly things like, you know, some of your listeners today might have experienced as well. I don't want to put any extra work on them because I know like life is busy for everybody, but we have two incredibly smart, talented, amazing women, Caroline Mm -hmm. and another lady, Jenny, that would be excellent to write a story for that. And I I hope they both choose to. Yes. Um, I would love that. I would absolutely love that. Uh, One, one thing I think that came up for me when you were sharing the list of what we can all do is this idea of like, if you see something that doesn't feel right for you in the world, don't give up. Right. Don't accept the answer. Uh, that's just the way the world is. That's just the way this works. You know, there there at some point probably was not women's meetings. There at some point was probably not meetings that watched your kids in the back room. Like, don't give up. Keep working towards making the change that you want to see. Right. Because it's only been since I've decided I will not accept feeling worse or being treated worse that my life has really, really taken off and improved. And I just we all need that, man. Don't settle for that's just the fucking way it is. Because you know what? Yeah, that changes too. The way it is changes. So Beautiful. Absolutely. Caroline, thank you so much for coming on and helping us explore this topic. Um, go out and, and seek out Caroline's book when it comes out on March 28th. It is called Downstairs Church. Uh, and that's, you want to pick that up. You want to read it. We want to all email Caroline so that I can get an audible copy and listen to it because that's (laughs) just way better for my life. Um, But again, thank you so much. And uh, we wish you continued success. And just thank you for being you in this world. We need more people like you. Mm, Thank you so much. It's been such an honor to be here and the same for all of you as well. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Awesome. Have a great day. Yeah. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us.